Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is March the 6th, 2020, and I'm happy that you're here to join me. Good to join you at the end of the week, and what a week it has been. Um, the world has gone nuts. I'm convinced of it. Uh, more and more, I'm actually convinced that Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone is writing the script. But um, let's uh, you know get into where we are and how we got here. And, and hopefully where we're going, if anyone could figure that out. Those of you who are familiar with my program know my background, know that I spent 30 years with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, and ever since the terror attacks of 9-11, um, I've made it my business. I'm a man on a mission, so to speak, to wake up as many of our fellow Americans and as many of our so-called political leaders as to the true significance of our borders and our immigration laws, which, by the way, have absolutely nothing nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. If they did, <clears throat> I couldn't have spent 30 seconds at the old INS, let alone 30 years. By the way, if there's any doubt in anybody's mind as to the reason that we have immigration laws, I point you to the law. Jot this down. Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182-1182. Title Eight. It lists the categories of aliens who are to be excluded from the United States. And, you know, as I travel around the country, every now and again, people will say to me, Mr. Cutler, don't you fear that people will accuse you of being a bigot, a racist, a xenophobe, you name it. In fact, when I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee a number of years ago, uh, the late Earl Inspector, when he told me it was my time to speak, or that I had the floor, so to speak, he started out talking about how some people suffered from exophobia. I know I've mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again. And I almost caught myself laughing out loud. I had to control myself because I thought, my God, this guy must think I'm afraid of the letter X, exophobia. And then he corrected himself and said xenophobia. <clears throat> if you go to Title Eight, United States Code Section 1182, it begins with aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases or aliens who suffer extreme mental illness. Let's remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station. It was run by immigration and public health. And there were two concerns about the public health aspect or the, the health issue. <clears throat> Number one, at its opening, Ellis Island was the biggest hospital complex in the United States. I believe it comprised some 22 hospitals built on an artificial island uh, in the middle of the um, bay, and it was there for a reason. There was no such thing as catch and release. The only way to get from Ellis Island to Manhattan was by a government-run ferry. If you didn't get on the ferry, if they didn't let you on the ferry, you weren't getting to the United States. It was that simple. And the two big concerns that our officials had, that our leaders had back then, was number one, obviously, they didn't want aliens who had a dangerous communicable disease entering the United States where they could start an epidemic. Think of what's going on right now with the coronavirus. So this coronavirus 
is waking people up to this idea about quarantine, about keeping people out of the country who might bring a disease with them. And what's so remarkable is that Cory Booker and, and Senator Menendez, both from New Jersey, are adamant that they want everyone coming through Newark International Airport in their state of New Jersey screened for the coronavirus. That's fine. I agree. No problem there. But these are the same people that are dead set against the construction of a wall along the southern border. Well, guess what? There is no inspection. There is no vetting. There is no screening for aliens who run the border. If they have a disease, they get in, they're here, and they will be in contact with everybody else. And that's how it spreads, any disease. <clears throat> We've seen tropical diseases in the United States that either had been vanquished years ago or were never here before. And you have to believe that some of this happens when people cross the borders. And, you know, if you bring plants into the United States, the plants get destroyed. If it's for a florist, then there's a procedure in place to make certain that they don't have any insects, that they're not carrying anything that could hurt the native population of plants. You want to bring an animal to the United States? No problem, but that animal's going into quarantine. Again, the same reason. Let's make sure that that animal doesn't get people sick, doesn't get other animals sick, doesn't start an epidemic, a pandemic. Nobody complains about that. But when people enter the United States without inspection, there is no opportunity to determine if they have a dangerous disease, if they're mentally ill. Uh, let's look at the other categories, aliens who are criminals, terrorists, human traffickers, drug smugglers, people who profit off of human trafficking and prostitution, spies and terrorists and human rights violators and war criminals and fugitives from justice, aliens who would likely become a public charge, and finally, Aliens who, if they worked and didn't have permission to work, would displace Americans, all lawful immigrants, and drive down their wages. That's what's in the law. And every once in a while, people will come up and say, oh, you're a xenophobe. You're a bigot. You're a... Really? Why? Because they don't want a terrorist to come to my country, our country, and kill people. I've arrested terrorists in my career, which is why the 9-11 Commission sought to speak to me after the attacks, and I provided testimony at their invitation. I've testified before something like 17 congressional hearings. And by the way, for a couple of those hearings, I was called by Sheila Jackson Lee, a liberal Democrat from Texas. If you remember, the two dead terrorists got permission to go to flight school six months after 9-11, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shehi. And those two pieces of crap were the people at the controls of the airplanes that slammed into the two towers of the World Trade Center. Six months after the attack, the incompetent INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service, actually it wasn't the agency, it was this computer company that was sending out the letters of approval, told the guy in the flight school in Florida, Rudy Decker, oh yeah, these guys are authorized, they can attend your flight school. And Rudy Decker a citizen of Germany, by the way, flipped out and immediately reached out to the government and said, what the hell are you idiots doing? These guys are dead. They're terrorists. <clears throat> immediately, a, a, a hearing was arranged, and Sheila Jackson Lee's counsel reached out to me because of my background and said, Mr. Cutler, your country needs you in Washington. When I got that phone call, I just finished having an argument with Anthony Weenie, as I came to call Weiner, that reprobate. What a character. Oh, my goodness. So I get this phone call as I'm driving down my block. I just had a brunch because I was the parent association president of my daughter's public school. All the politicians were there, including Weenie. 
And I, and I get this call, Mr. Cutler, your country needs you to come to Washington. Well, I, I thought at first it was a goof. Somebody was kidding me. And he gave me his name, and he said, I'm chief counsel for the minority, because at the time the Republicans had control of the House, so the ones that are in control is the majority, the party out of power, the minority. He said, I'm chief counsel for the minority on the immigration subcommittee. Can you come to Washington? Then he laid out the whole story. I almost smashed into a tree in front of my house. So, of course, I testified. You should watch the hearing. It's on C-SPAN. It's part of their permanent library. And back then, everyone was pretty much on the same page. We've got to get control over our borders. We must not allow people to come in illegally and wander around the country because among them might be terrorists. This reliance on terror watch lists blows my mind. It's almost laughable, except it keeps me awake at night that anyone is that stupid. Well, the guy's not on a terror watch list. and you arrest him? Uh, not every terrorist is on the terror watch list. That's what a sleeper agent is. For all the talk about sleeper agents, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, a sleeper agent is a foreign national, an alien, that is to say, who enters the United States by one means or another, stowing away on a ship, running the border, evading the inspections process at ports of entry, either along the Canadian border or the Mexican border, entering on a ship, that doesn't stop at a port of entry. So, you know, they don't even wait till nightfall to get off the ship. You know, they, <clears throat> we've had ships meet other ships at sea and bring people back, and, and, and they don't bring them into a port of entry. They just bring them back into a marina. So, you know, let's say uh, five guys go fishing, and then by nighttime, 12 guys come back. How does that work? Well, they met a ship somewhere out past the, the international limit, brought people on board, and then brought them to the United States. That does happen. And then you have aliens who enter the United States through ports of entry, international airports, land border ports, seaports. They're admitted for a certain period of time. There's restrictions on their entry, whether they're tourists, which means they can't work and they can't stay more than six months, or they come under the visa waiver program, which we shouldn't have. But that's the gift that Ronald Reagan gave us, along with amnesty, because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce wants to make it easy for people to come to America because they're looking for an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, for the immigration lawyers of both sides of the aisle, an unlimited supply of clientele, and also people who are going to rent apartments. So people say to me, well, you know, if, if we got rid of all the illegal aliens, the economy would collapse. No, the economy would take off like a rocket. It would go into the stratosphere. If you think it's going well now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Here's what you're not being told by the mainstream media and the globalists from both political parties. And let's remember that the original globalist party was the Republican Party, not the Democrat Party, folks. The Democratic Party, uh, they've absolutely lost their moral compass. You know, I'm registered as a Democrat. People say, why aren't you a Republican? Well, I can't forget that Ronald Reagan gave us the amnesty, gave us the visa waiver program, gave us the diversity visa, the visa lottery, and even included a confidentiality provision so we could not share amnesty information with other law enforcement agencies. You know, for half my career, I was involved in in, in narcotics investigations. In 1988, I was the first immigration agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the DEA in New York City, the Drug Enforcement Administration. I hated giving up the job, but I was offered a promotion 
to senior special agent and an assignment with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. What I loved about being at DEA Intel was I had access to everything. It was like sitting in, in, the, uh, in the crow's nest, being able to see just about everything that was going on. It was a wonderful assignment. I learned an awful lot. It also gave me an opportunity to kind of mold that position the way I wanted to because I was the first person to get that assignment. One of the things I did there was to um, collect statistics, arrest statistics. And back then they didn't send you a spreadsheet. <laughs> they sent you hundreds of boxes. I, I thought I'd never dig out. <clears throat> and I tabulated with a hand calculator and all these physical sheets of paper who we were arresting. Well, they never indicated on the arrest records what the immigration status was of those who were arrested. But they did indicate whether the person was born in the United States or born in a foreign country, and if so, what country. So when I did an analysis, I found out to my horror that in New York City, 60%, 60% of the people we were arresting for major drug-related crimes at DEA intelligence in New York City were foreign-born, which stands to reason. Most of the drugs are smuggled into the United States. Human smugglers and drug smugglers frequently are one and the same. And when you move drugs into the United States, it's all about the money. So the cartels like to send their people from their country to our country so that if these people stole from them, there's a quick remedy. They would kill or torture the, the person's family. So that's how they kept their workers in line. And they would send an entire operation to the United States. It's like if you go to buy a new car or lease a car. you got the car salesman. You have the finance guy who arranges the loan or the lease. You have another guy that sells the accessories. Then you've got the mechanics and the service manager. It's it's an operation, right? It covers lots of areas. Well, drug smugglers are very much the same. You have the guy that's in charge with smuggling the drugs in. Then you have the enforcers who go out there, and if you mess with them, you know, you wake up dead. Or they find your family and, and do a number on them. Then you have the money people who figure out how to get the money, the proceeds from the drugs, back home. And then you have the guys that are running the street-level drug operation – they may or may not use illegal aliens, but they themselves most certainly are because they're here from another country doing things that violate our immigration and other laws. <clears throat> so it's like they move a car dealership into your neighborhood. Instead of selling cars, they're peddling death. They're peddling poison to our children. And, and so, you know, it, it was an eye-opener for me that 60% of the people that we were arresting at DEA, the task force in New York City, were foreign-born. Nationally, it's about 30%, by the way. That's an incredible percentage, incredible percentage. And the drug money, as we're now finding out, is also being used to finance terrorism. Everyone seems to have forgotten that 9-11 happened. Oh, that was almost 20 years ago. Are you kidding? Ha, long time ago. The 93 bombing, wow, that was 27? That's history. 27 years ago. How many people are younger than 27 years of age, folks? They weren't even born. They weren't even here <clears throat> when the World Trade Center was bombed. Six people were injured. Uh, sorry, six people were killed. A thousand people injured. They almost brought the towers down sideways. And as it was, they inflicted a half billion dollars in damages. All forgotten, all swept under the rug. We're just looking for people that want to do the work Americans won't do because we're stupid and lazy. And so then 
as time passed, these same Congress people who were concerned about immigration, I mean, the, Washington was attacked, the Pentagon was, was hit, the Trade Center, the airplane that came down to Pennsylvania, a lot of angry, scared politicians. The, the operative word here was scared. And once the fears died down, the next fear they had is not winning the next election. Well, to win the next election, they've got to get a bribe. I mean, a campaign contribution. Did I say bribe? Gee whiz, I keep confusing my terminology. You know, as a federal agent, I wasn't allowed to accept anything more significant than a glass of ice water. And the politicians are taking with both hands. Money, 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 money. We need more money. Except, of course, for Mike Bloomberg, who, through his life, bought everything, probably even friends. With a personality like that, I can't imagine he'd have too many friends. Um, So, you know, he buys everything. And he thinks that money is the solution to everything. Surprise, surprise, it didn't work out this time. He couldn't buy friends this time. Uh, Remarkable stuff. I resent this business. I resent this business. You want to believe that people run for public office because they want to make America and Americans better off than they were. Uh, I had given thought to running, and then I looked at the surroundings, and I looked at the landscape, and I said, my God, I don't want anything to do with these characters. But I've been approached over the years about the idea of running for office. But if I did do it, and the reason that I didn't say no immediately is I love America. may sound corny in this day and age, but I do love America. My mother came to America as a 13-year-old girl ahead of the Holocaust. Her mother could not get out of Poland. She died. I was named for my mother's mother. My mother lived by herself in a rooming house, came here legally with a visa, and worked in a sweatshop for $3 a week making umbrellas, 13 years old. If America hadn't permitted my mother in, my mother wouldn't have survived. I could not have been born. My children could not have been born. My grandchildren could not have been born. Truly love America, warts and all. And yes, America is far from perfect, but then people are far from perfect. I've never met a perfect human being. Far from it. We all have our flaws. But if you want to put records on the table, I'll take America over any other country. And so when I look at Bernie Sanders, this self-avowed communist, you know, democratic socialist, my backside, he makes a hero out of someone like Fidel Castro. There's an interesting series on television you should watch about the Watergate, uh, the lead-up to the Watergate trials. I briefly met Richard Nixon. What he did was despicable. Uh, He was very polite when I met him. He was already out of office. I was an agent. I showed up at work early one morning. Richard Nixon had his offices in our building in in Lower Manhattan at Federal Plaza. And I had just come back from vacation. It was about 530 in the morning, and I was schlepping my raid bag with my bulletproof vest, my handcuffs, my extra uh, ammunition, my um, uh, raid jacket, bulletproof vest. What else did I have in there? You name it, it was in there flashlights, you know, my battle bag. And so we're walking across the hall. There's no one else in the building at that hour, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I was going out to execute some warrants. And I saw him, and I, I walked up to him. I was taught to be respectful at all times. I said, good morning, Mr. President. And he was there with a the private security uh, team. He did not accept Secret Service. He made it clear that he thought it was not appropriate for him to be protected at government expense because of the circumstances surrounding his departure which really showed class and a sense of propriety. 
ironically enough, given the accusations that he faced. And I saw him. I said, good morning, Mr. President. And we were standing about 10 feet apart. And he said, good morning, son. I was in my 30s back then. And he said to me, you must be a federal agent. I said, well, you're right, but how do you know? He said, well, the only people who show up in this building at this god-awful hour are Richard Nixon and federal agents. And I laughed, and he kind of chuckled. He said, looks like you're going out to make some arrests. Is that the case? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, well, you know, son, the most important thing you're going to do today, hopefully, is come home in one piece. Make sure that you make that your priority. Come home to your family. I thanked him for his concern, and he told me it was good to meet me, and he got in the elevator and disappeared. Well, if you watch the series about Richard Nixon and Watergate, uh, really like a, sort of an, all the president's men, but they interview the real people. The Cubans were involved, if you remember, with the Watergate break-in, and the Cubans that were against Fidel Castro had reasons to be against Fidel Castro. When Castro came to power, he came to power with the promise that he would have free elections and help the, the Cuban poor people. And as soon as he got into power, he canceled all the elections. And when the young people who helped get him into power, these were mostly students, people in their late, 20s, early, late teens and early 20s, complained and said, you promised us the elections. Where are our elections? Mr. Castro had the machine gunned. Bernie Sanders' hero. If you look at um, Daniel Ortega in, in uh, Nicaragua with the Sandinistas and that whole routine, the people that he makes a big deal of, and we have the same problem with de Blasio, are these dictators from Latin America. They were violent, sociopathic dictators. And Bernie Sanders, oh, they taught people how to read. They gave them free health care. Well, of course they taught them how to read. Do you know why they had to teach the Cubans how to read, folks? I mean, think about this. In order to control the people, Castro had to inundate them, inculcate them with propaganda. Well, how do you disperse propaganda to people who are illiterate? They won't be able to read your garbage. So I guess Castro said, well, we have to teach them to read so then I can you know, get to them with my, my, my propaganda. And when we talk about political correctness, we're making a big mistake, folks. This is all Orwellian newspeak. And if you look at immigration, of twisting language started with Jimmy Carter when he mandated that all immigration employees stop using the word alien to describe illegal aliens and call them immigrants. The term alien, if you go to Title, uh, I'm sorry, you go to uh, yeah, Title Eight, United States Code Section 1101. That's the definitions within the Immigration Act. And every body of law starts with definitions, whether it's firearms, whether it's narcotics. They have to have definitions because otherwise there's no way, for example, that you could prosecute somebody for possession of a dangerous drug if you don't define what a dangerous drug is. You know, is it, is it uh, ginger ale? You know, what, what is a dangerous drug? So it lays out the specifics. It's like a cookbook. It's a recipe. That's how the law works. Same thing with a firearm. Oh, the guy was found to be in possession of a firearm. Well, what's a firearm? I mean, I don't want to be silly, but think about it. What's a firearm? Well, the law tells you what a firearm is, what, what um, aspects have to be present for this to be a viable firearm. 
Same thing with the term alien, because the immigration laws don't make distinctions about superficial issues. You know, race, religion, ethnicity has nothing to do with immigration. Not today. Maybe 100 years ago, and that was wrong, but that's not today. And the people who oppose immigration law enforcement will say, oh, they used to have the Chinese Exclusion Act. They did, and that was bigotry, and it was wrong. But by the way, guess where the greatest number of immigrants come from today, folks? I mean, people that are coming to live permanently, they come from Asia. So people will say, well, they used to have Chinese exclusion. Yes, and people used to go to work at a horse and buggy, but I don't see too many of those on the streets of Manhattan anymore. These are the kinds of crazy arguments that you hear by people that don't want immigration enforcement for a bunch of reasons, and none of them are good. None of them are good. These are all malevolent individuals with malevolent goals. So the term alien is a legal term, and legal terms have to be defined. And one of the things you do when you go to Border Patrol Academy, which is where I went, because when I hired on in 1971, everybody who got a badge at the Immigration Service went to the Border Patrol Academy in Los Fresnos, Texas, right next to Brownsville, which is across the Rio Grande River from Matamoros, which is now a drug-infested town. They used to go through there every, you know, every couple of days. You'd be sitting around at the academy. What do you feel like doing? Oh, let's go to Mexico. You know, it's like sitting around in Brooklyn and saying, oh, let's go to Long Island, let's go to Roosevelt Field. And it was about as long a drive. We could get to Mexico about 30 minutes uh, out of the academy. It was kind of unique for, for a Brooklyn boy. And if you understand um, how, how it works at the academy, is that you have to memorize sections of law. You have to memorize legal definitions so that when you're in the field, you don't have a law book in front of you. And it's your understanding of the law and understanding of definitions that help to guide you in the decisions that you make when you're out on the street conducting an investigation. So one of the definitions that was hammered into our head, and we had to even get the punctuation right, because if you had the punctuation wrong, you, you were considered to have not answered the question. It was like leaving it blank. You, you got a zero for the question. It had to be... 100% the way that you were taught. The term alien means any person not a citizen or national of the United States. Where is the insult? It doesn't say, well, these are idiots, these are smelly people, these are stupid people, these are immoral people. No, any person not a citizen or national of the United States. It's like saying, you're my friend, but you're not a member of my family, so you're not a relative. Is that an insult or a statement of fact? And when we travel to other countries, as is defined by international law, we become aliens in any country we visit unless we are dual nationals. So any, any person, not a citizen or national of the United States, is an alien. Why wouldn't you want to use that term? The reason that the term was being taken out of the vernacular was because it provided clarity to the conversation. Because when you say that everyone is now an immigrant and we're a nation of immigrants and anybody who wants to stop an immigrant from coming to America is a terrible person. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year, by the way, more than the rest of the world combined. I was an adjudications officer. I did the marriage interviews. Well, guess what? The marriage interviews that I did were like what you see in the movies. And I was happy when I could approve an application and say to somebody, congratulations. We've approved you for your green card. 
we used to call an alien registration receipt card. The reason we called it that was because it goes back to 1940 and the Alien Registration Act. Alien. It's part of the vernacular. It's part of the law. But people are being stampeded. People are being played for idiots, and they're cooperating. This is like the lemming country. Everyone's running off the cliff. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm following the crowd right off the cliff. How does that end up? Can't say immigrant, alien. Oh, my God, what a terrible thing you said. And then we get to the DREAM Act. Do you folks remember the DREAM Act? You know, it was an acronym. It didn't mean the American dream, because that dream doesn't exist for most Americans anymore. Thanks to the globalists in both parties, Democrats and Republicans. You know, I write for Front Page magazine, and in a couple of minutes I want to talk about my latest article for Front Page. But I, I look at some of the comments, and I cringe. Oh, the leftists are doing this to us. The leftists are out of control with sanctuary cities. Make no mistake, and I'm thrilled that the courts have ruled that the president has the authority to defund sanctuary cities, I agree, because what they're doing is undermining national security and public safety. Very big problem. But uh, understand that both parties got us into the mess. It was Reagan that started this insanity of the, the amnesty and the visa waiver program and a confidentiality provision and, and the visa lottery. The President Reagan started it. It was George Herbert Walker Bush who actually signed it into law. Why? Why? But I keep hearing the same thing. Oh, those Democrats, they're they're importing voters. No, here's the problem. The Democrats aren't just importing voters. If you destroy the middle class, you force everyone that's not able to earn a good living to the left. You know, my dad used to say that if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. And what we're doing is flooding the labor market with cheap, exploitable labor. And I promise you, there is no compassion in exploitation. So we displace Americans, and we're doing it to computer programmers also. Make no mistake, Alan, uh, uh, Alan Greenberg, uh, um, goodness gracious, uh, Alan Greenspan was testifying for Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009. And he's since written articles as recently as a couple of months ago, kept saying the same thing. The solution to wage inequality is make American high-tech workers compete with foreign workers that will drive down their wages, eliminate the wage premium that they're getting over Americans with lesser skills because now they're going to have to compete. And once we can get rid of that wage premium from these privileged elite workers. When did you ever hear middle-class workers referred to as the privileged elite? Privileged elite. And through pressure of competition from foreign workers, you could get rid of that wage premium, and now you've reduced wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. So in other words, let's kill the middle class of the working poor. We'll have nobody to be envious of. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But meanwhile, Everyone has fallen for this nonsense that we're somehow doing something terrible if we want to control the flow of workers into the United States. It's about controlling wages and making certain that technology doesn't get stolen. China commits espionage so frequently that the intelligence services have come to refer to Chinese espionage as Chinese takeout. So it started with the Republicans wanting cheap labor to drive down wages and make people or compel people to settle for for less benefits. And the Democrats used to be pro-labor. And 
if you look back at the labor movement, Walter Ruther and, and Gompers and, and the creation of the AFL and the CIO uh, and, and people that would strike because they needed wages or whatever it was, and the employers hired replacement workers, those people were given the terrible name of scab labor. Well, Americans aren't striking, but we're still getting scab labor thanks to both parties. In fact, last year, at least three terrible immigration bills sailed through the House of Representatives with barely a hiccup. There were no hearings. There were no press conferences. There were no amendments. In the dark of night, they signed off on it. Boom. And there you go. Both parties. And we're told they never talk to each other. They won't work together on immigration. Forget it. Well, guess what? They did at least three times last year. Give those politicians an opportunity to screw American workers, and they'll trip over each other to do it. Now, there are some exceptions. But the point is, don't look at the R or the D, because that sometimes doesn't tell the story. See, the Democrats used to be dead set against illegal immigration, and they certainly didn't want to bring in any kind of foreign worker if they could avoid it, because they used to look out for the wages and conditions of American workers. I'm a registered Democrat for that reason. My dad was a tradesman, a construction worker, plumber. No more. Now, they're leading the charge, and they've created sanctuary cities that even the Republicans wouldn't have the chutzpah to do. But the solution to sanctuary cities is to hire more ICE agents, and neither party does that. Now, why is that? See, it's both parties. When I see these people say, oh, it's the Democrats, if you believe it's only the Democrats, you're a fool. President Trump could have defunded sanctuary cities in his first year in office when he had a Republican majority in both houses. He could have had them pass a law that makes it, you know, that that gives the, the authority to not give money to sanctuary cities never happened they could have hired more immigration agents ice agents never happened why because neither party wants the border secured or the immigration laws enforced and i told you why because immigration is a delivery system so we have sanctuary cities releasing aliens and no one from the mayor is telling the truth you know the argument we have to protect the immigrants. That's like when George, George W. Bush went around with his guest worker program, and I testified at a bunch of hearings about it. We've got to legalize the immigrants. And I used to bring a glass of water on stage when I did speaking events. I still do speaking events. And, you know, they generally give you a nice glass of water so you have a little something to wet your whistle while you're speaking. And I would hold up my glass of water, and I would say, well, you know, offering to make immigrants legal is kind of like offering to make water wet. Water is wet. Immigrants are legal. George W. Bush was talking about giving lawful status to illegal aliens. And everyone says, well, that's compassionate. Maybe not. Maybe not. Now, I understand that there are people who come to America out of desperation. But with more than 7 billion inhabitants on this planet and more than half of them living below the poverty line, that's a lot of desperate people. So can we bring 500,000 people to America, 500 million people to America who are destitute? How about a billion? How about two billion? Where do we draw a line? And while we're worrying about their situation, what happens when you flood America with workers who will work for one-third the wage or one-quarter the wage of a comparably employed American or a comparably employed lawful immigrant? Well, those workers are going to lose their jobs to that illegal alien, and the conditions are going to get a lot worse quickly. 
this isn't a pro-labor thing. This isn't a pro-America thing. It's a pro-greed thing. You know, these greedy bums are kind of like a malignancy. Cancer has an insatiable appetite for nutrients, and these people have an insatiable appetite for wealth. And the nutrients works out real well for the cancerous tumor until it kills the patient, and then they bury the tumor with the patient. Cancer doesn't have the capacity to think. These political thugs do have the capacity to think, and they don't care about the long-term damage they're doing to the country or even their own party. Because if you're a Republican, you need to understand that with open borders, we get wage suppression. With wage suppression, you get people needing some kind of financial assistance that the Republicans don't offer, but the Democrats do. And what does that do? It pushes all of America to the left. So we hear free free school and and, and, and free health care and free this and free – and everyone gets excited. I'll tell you what, I do believe American kids should be able to get a free college education. I basically did. I went to Brooklyn College. Two of my sons went to City College. as They're engineers now. You shouldn't have to go to an Ivy League school. And the only way to end the cycle of poverty in America is to get American kids into schools give them a good education and the opportunity to do a good job at a great pay rate. But that, of course, is not what the corporations want. That's not what Silicon Valley wants. What they want is an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, you see. But what no one is paying attention to is as you drop wages and make housing more unaffordable, you wind up with more homelessness. More homelessness. And yes, of course, the open borders crowd will say, well, homelessness is the result of mental illness and drug addiction. Well, that certainly figures. And you have soldiers who came out of combat who were wounded, who were injured, who were traumatized physically and mentally, psychologically. And they are among the homeless. But you have homeless people who lost their jobs through no fault of their own because they were displaced by foreign workers, including workers with H-1B visas or H-2A visas. Both parties are in on this. So please get away from this notion that it's one party or the other. Donald Trump is the first president to stand up to both parties and say, hey, enough. Now, I don't even always agree with Trump on a bunch of issues. But I don't suffer Trump derangement syndrome because what he wants for America is what we should all want for America. More jobs, better wages, a safer country. Who can argue with that? And then the false accusations start, just like I was told that I was I might have exophobia. Well, Trump is a bigot. Trump is this. Trump is that. And, and Anderson Cooper, and I may have mentioned it last week, but Anderson Cooper blew my mind. I met Anderson a bunch of times when Lou Dobbs was a fixture at CNN. I was on with Lou generally twice a week. And even when I wasn't on with him, uh, I was speaking to his producers, his reporters. They'd call me up and they'd say, we're doing a story about this or a story about that. What's the relevant section of law and so forth? And I used to bump into Anderson all the time in the hallways over at CNN, and he'd grab my hand and say, Mr. Cutler, thank you so much. You do a great job in front of the camera. I'm so pleased you come here and help our reporters cover the stories. And he would thank me for my service as an agent. Uh, unlike Cuomo, he didn't call me a thug, because Cuomo called all immigration agents thugs. If you want to see a thug in action, you could look at Cuomo, or you could look at Chucky e. Schumer. Chucky e. Schumer, who has the chutzpah to threaten two Supreme Court judges and then lie about it through his staffer and say, oh, I was talking about the Senate. 
Uh, folks, do you know any senator with the name of Gorsuch or Senator Kavanaugh? Those names ring any bells? Standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, that if you vote basically the wrong way on this abortion bill, you've inherited the whirlwind, and there'll be hell to pay, and you won't know what hit you. You won't know what hit you? You know, there's a section of law, Title 18, United States Code, Section 115, and there's another section of law that gets into uh, making terroristic threats. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. You won't know what hit you. You will inherit the whirlwind. Really? Well, under 115, if you threaten the government employee, whether it's a judge, whether it's a federal officer, whoever, that if you do your job, there will be physical consequences or any kind of consequences. That's intimidation, and that's a felony. And Schumer says, oh, the people on the right. No, I'm not on the right, folks. I most certainly am not. But as an American, I am appalled. It was disgusting. It was despicable. But let's remember that Anthony Weiner was Chuck Schumer's protege. You got to wonder, birds of a feather, perhaps. Perhaps. I don't know. But talk about poor taste and, and, and poor judgment. It was interesting because Weiner even inherited Chuck Schumer's office when Weiner became a congressman and Schumer became a senator. It's insanity that w- what we are witnessing to have the Senate leader and in the U.S. Senate stand on the steps of the Supreme Court. Believe me, Chuck knows what he's saying. He's not crazy. He's not senile. He's not Joe Biden. You will inherit the world with it. You've released the world with You know, release the Kraken, huh? There will be hell to pay. You won't know what hit you. That's not a strong arm tactic of intimidation and threats. Now, meanwhile, the accusations always flow, well, it's Trump. He's the bigot. And so you have Anderson Cooper interviewing Bernie uh, and saying to Bernie, well, Trump talks to white America, so I guess you're talking to black America or whoever he put it. But he made the point about Trump talking to white America. Uh, Well, folks, have you ever heard Trump single out Americans that way and, and say, well, this is for the white Americans? No, no. He speaks to all Americans. And, and, and you know, I, I get so angry, and I'll, I'll make the point again, because I know I've made it before, is that anybody who can break America down by race, religion, or ethnicity is a blithering idiot and a fool and a racist. When I hear about black voters and Latino voters, folks, we're American voters. And as Americans, we want our government to do a couple of basic things for us, whether we're conservatives, whether we're liberals, whether we're centrists, whether whatever it is. I think we can all agree that we want our military to keep our enemies as far from our shores as possible. We want law enforcement to keep the streets as safe as possible. And we'd like to know that the schools are doing a great job of educating our children so when they grow up, they will have access to good jobs. I don't think there's too many people that would argue. And yet, I mean, what are we seeing out of our supposed leaders? 
the accusations begin and the pollsters lie through their teeth and they'll talk about, well, if the Latino voter is going to vote for Trump, he has to open the borders. Why would someone who is a Latino want open borders so his kid can go to school with MS-13? And by the way, the gangs don't only exist in Latin America. They're all over the world because human nature is human nature. I know I've arrested the thugs from everywhere. I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist, took a gun off him, working with the FBI on that case. I've arrested Italian mobsters. I've arrested Israeli mobsters. I've locked up Colombian drug dealers and Jamaican drug dealers. I got an award from the Japanese government. I worked with New Scotland Yard to arrest a man that was involved in a murder in England. This isn't about, you know, what race, what religion, nonsense of bigotry. And we're not going to use the word alien. We're going to call everybody immigrants. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien, for the sake of clarity, the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. Stores need shoppers. Without shoppers, stores go out of business. But somebody who makes a purchase without paying for it isn't a customer. They're a shoplifter. And stores do everything they can to protect themselves against shoplifters. They have closed-circuit cameras, and they put tags on clothing. So if you go out the door and they didn't remove the tag, the, the thing alerts. Um, they put you know expensive items in, in, in a showcase so a salesperson has to unlock it and take the item and bring it to the cash register so it doesn't disappear en route to the cashier. Does that mean that the store isn't welcoming to its customers or they're trying to prevent loss of, of their property? There's nothing welcoming about not protecting the, the country against people who would come in and do harm to us. So I've often made the point that with all the discussions about whether or not um, uh, we should have open borders or not, nobody ever looks at the real issue that those borders are our first and last line of defense. We had these discussions. Should we put the military on the border so that the military can back up the Border Patrol? In reality, the Border Patrol and ICE back up the military. The common shared goal of our armed forces is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. But up close and in person, guess who takes over? The Border Patrol and ICE. It's pretty clear. And you've got the Democrats all saying we need comprehensive immigration reform. Now, understand what that would really mean. We're told constantly, and that's why I hope you'll go to my article and then forward the link to everybody you can and ask them to do the same. Be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth, okay? Because if you ask the average person how many illegal aliens are there, you're going to hear, oh, 11, 11 million. Well, how do you know? Well, they keep saying it. Right. It was 11 million 10 years ago, and then we had the caravans, and then we had, on average, 500,000 aliens failed to depart the United States who come in legally, and they're still here. And then you still have more aliens coming, and not that many leaving. So how do we stay at 11 million? Well, when Reagan gave us his amnesty, he said there was about a million. We wound up with almost 4 million. And a couple of the Ivy League schools have, have done a study and said, oh, there's about 22 million illegals here, double what you're hearing. Well, that's interesting, 22 million. I don't believe that goes far enough. I believe it's probably between 30 and 40 million. So let's, for the sake of argument, say 30 million. 
So now my question is, how many aliens, if we did comprehensive immigration reform, how many aliens would wind up with green cards? Now, most people are going to say, well, Mr. Cotley, you just said that there were 30 million illegal aliens, if you're right, and if they all apply, then 30 million aliens will get green cards, will get lawful status. So tell me, folks, do you think that that's the case? The answer is no. Read my article. Because if we do this massive legalization program, immediately the aliens who get lawful status will have the absolute right to bring in all of their minor children and all of their spouses. So let's figure that the average family in a third world country has five or six kids. Not unusual. I've seen families eight and ten. So let's just say five or six. And let's say that half of those fam- half of those people either have no children or already brought their kids here. So where does that leave us? Let's say we have an average of two children per illegal alien who would become legalized under comprehensive immigration reform. Does that sound reasonable? Well, if it does sound reasonable that there's roughly two per alien, and I told you that there's 30 million, I believe, illegals, I think that's a conservative number. I think it might even be higher. But let's say that's the number. That means that overnight, 60 million school-age aliens would legally enter the United States and immediately be enrolled in our schools. 60 million. Where in the world are we going to put them? What would happen to the educational system of our towns and cities from coast to coast and border to border that can't deal with what they have to deal with now? As it is, we keep spending more and more money on English as a second language while ignoring the special needs kids who need early intervention and speech therapy and physical therapy and occupational therapy because they either have ADHD or autism or that sort of thing. We're struggling now. Teachers are reaching into their nearly empty pocketbooks to buy school supplies because their schools can't afford the school supplies for those children. Now imagine we dump 50 or 60 million more kids into this disaster. It would destroy our educational system. And I don't care if those kids are from England or France or Germany or Nigeria or Mexico or or, or China or, or Formosa. It doesn't matter. What would matter are the sheer numbers. This isn't about racism. And then many spouses would come here, and they might look for work which means more workers. Now we're going to have a problem from that angle. Now, as you bring in more people, they're going to buy more clothing and more food and use more electricity. That puts a pressure on our resources, and it's going to create inflation, supply and demand. It's remarkable for all the talk about the environment. You have sanctuary cities giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens, which means we're going to put more more cars on the road even as Mayor de Blasio here in New York is starting commercials warning people that if they let the car idle more than three minutes, they can get a ticket. Then there's a proposal that if someone rats out their neighbor who idles his car, that they'll get part of the money from the ticket that the guy has to pay. It's draconian. You can't have idling cars. No, let's put another million motorists on the road in the New York area so they'll add to the congestion and you'll be idling on the Belt Parkway going nowhere or you'll be idling on the Long Island Expressway. But that's okay somehow. 
it's counterintuitive and it's a lie. And Bernie Sanders runs around and says, if I'm elected president, I'm going to take care of the little guy, the poor people. And we're going to do it by taxing people, the wealthy. And then if you listen, his concept of wealthy is people making more than $29,000 a year, which gets us to this notion of a $15 an hour minimum wage, which I happen to agree with. But a $15 minimum wage is 30000 a year in round numbers, about 31000 a year. And Bernie is telling us that 29000 is where you get taxed, which brings you back to a supposition I had not long ago that we're really not talking about increasing the minimum wage here, but creating a, a fundamental basic wage, a standard wage. So everyone will be making about 30000 a year. Lots of luck. You can't take care of a dog on 30000 a year in New York City. In California, the poverty line is $117,000 per year. The poverty line. But Bernie Sanders seems to think that $29,000 is where you start taxing people. And if you're going to flood the country with more workers, you're going to displace more Americans. See, I really believe that Bernie Sanders and, and, and the left and, and the Democratic Party has gone over to the left. It's not the Democratic Party I signed on with decades ago they do want a political revolution in america and the way you do that is you crash the system and once you crash the system then you can put in whatever it is you want because you'll have iron-fisted control over the population this is so off the wall and if you look at the testimony that has come out of congressional hearings about hezbollah working with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood america with drugs and more people and sleeper agents many of whom who have been arrested scoping locations attending flight school and you know what's so remarkable is the president just started a task force on uh, naturalization fraud to go after people who lie on their applications uh <laughs> If you're an alien who lied on that application, be very concerned. But I don't know if we have enough agents, which, again, brings us back to this problem about the immigration system not having the resources it needs. We have a severe problem, and the biggest problem we have is twofold. Americans who don't ask questions and reporters who don't want to tell people what the facts are. John Adams was right when he said facts are stubborn things. But look at the facts. If you, natural, if you legalize 30 million aliens and they bring in 50 or 60 million children, we're in trouble. Inflation goes through the roof. Homelessness will increase because the price of housing will soar. And everybody knows this. And what disturbs me is the Republicans have to have this figured out, but they're not really standing up against it because they're profiting from this garbage which brings us back to follow the money. You do have some politicians who hold the line. Senator Cotton is phenomenal. There's a couple of good senators there. I was a big fan of Jeff Sessions. I hope he wins the seat back. You know, Jeff Sessions quoted me from the floor of the Senate when I wrote a piece about comprehensive immigration reform. My concern back then was that there would be no way to interview those people, let alone do field investigations. That violates the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission, and that's still very relevant. The all-clear is not sounded, folks. And it's remarkable, isn't it, that around the world, the weapon of choice for terrorists, not airplanes, but motor vehicles, but we're giving people driver's licenses and we don't even know who the hell they are. This is the kind of madness that we're dealing with, and you have Bernie Sanders making promises that he knows he can't keep. 
So where really does he want to take this country and its people? The guy who thinks that Fidel Castro was some kind of a hero? If you want to talk about Russian collusion, let's talk about Fidel Castro and how he welcomed into his country nuclear-tipped ballistic missiles from Russia that almost brought us to the brink of World War III in October of 1962. The missiles of October. Who could forget that? I'll never forget it. But Bernie Sanders thinks that because Castro provided health care and literacy to his people, that he's a hero. Oh, yes, he was a bit of a tyrant, but a bit of a tyrant, whatever it is that he was saying. No, (laughs) these people are dangerous. They are dangerous. And we've got to look beyond the headlines, and we've got to ask the right questions. Voltaire was right when he said that you judge a person's intelligence by the questions that he asks. And I can tell you that frequently nobody asks any questions. They, you know, you get into an argument and they'll say, well, I've heard they say, well, who are they and where did you hear it? They have no idea. They're clueless, but they're forming strong opinions based on bupkis, based on nothing. My parents were amazing. I still stand on their shoulders. And they told me, before you run your mouth, know what you're talking about. I remember if I ran my mouth at the dinner table, and it was obvious to my father I was running my mouth. He'd look over his glasses and give me what I used to call the father look. It could stop my heart. And he would say to me, Mike, empty barrels make an awful lot of noise. And that was his way of telling me to zip my mouth. And my mother used to say to me that words were like bullets. Once they're out of your mouth for all the money in the world, you can't get them back. So you better know what you're talking about before those words come out of your mouth. Good advice for anybody and everybody. But please learn to question what you're being told. How can you legalize tens of millions of illegal aliens and still somehow help people find jobs? It doesn't work. Do the math. Do the math. These are empty promises that will take America to the hard left. Look at Venezuela, folks. That's the experiment. Venezuela used to be the wealthiest country in all of South America, and it is now the abject poorest in South America. Colombia is facing an inundation of refugees, basically, running for their lives from Venezuela because they went to the hard left. We have to be smart about this. We have to ask the right questions. We have to make the politicians accountable. There's nothing more important than that. And it's an obligation we all have, particularly if we're parents, grandparents, if we're uncles or aunts, because the next generation and the generations that follow will depend, their, their lives and their security will depend on the decisions that we're making today. Very important questions that need to be asked. And I always like to remind people that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please go to Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, and check out my article. It's really important that people come to understand this, because I've suggested in my article the comprehensive immigration reform should be given a new title today. I suggest calling it the Overwhelm America Act. I hope this information is helpful to you. I hope it will cause you to do some thinking and ask some questions. And we'll take it from there. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Oh, by the way, please check out my podcast over at teamdmldmlnews.com. It's a subscription service, but I think it's worth Uh, joining that also. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week.